number four. I appreciate Brother Jay, and um, we love their family. We love having them sing when they're here, and I love having Brother Jay lead our music. And um, just the way the Lord worked all that. I remember just be pastoring a couple months. I went to a meeting somewhere, and Brother Jay was the song leader there, and I'm like, man, it's one of the best song leaders I've ever heard. I'd love for him to be my song leader. That's literally what I said. And so almost 10 years later, the Lord worked that all out, and praise God for that. And so does anyone need an outline for tonight? If you need a copy of the outline, um, I know it's not what you thought it was going to be. I know this morning I said we're going to continue the, we're going through the books of the Bible on Sunday nights, and we, tonight we're supposed to be in the book of Ezra. We've been moving pretty well. And uh, we was, I was going to do that, but these songs, I had never heard them before. I think you practiced them Wednesdays. Wednesday when you were practicing? That's the first time I had heard any of these songs. And um, that first song, The Heart of Worship, I really, Jay asked me if I've ever heard the song. I said, I think I remember, and I'm the one who mentioned, you know, every once in a while, late infomercial would have these great old worship songs and they would talk about, I'm com- and you hear that one line, coming back to the heart of worship, and they had all these different ones, I'm like, I guess I might have heard it there, but no, I've never really heard the song. And so when they were saying it, I listened to it. And if you'll go back, can you go back to that slide there for a second for me? You don't have to do any slides tonight on the message, because there is none. This was, and I'll explain my thinking here in just a minute, and what the Lord was leading on my heart tonight. The, the song, um, Heart of Worship, the chorus, the second line, I'm sorry for the way I made it. I think I just quoted it anyways. I wasn't sure if I could quote it or not. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you and it's all about you, Jesus. There could have been tonight some of you sitting in the room and you're like, I didn't like those songs. (laughs) Think. It's not about you. Did you ever think about that? There was not one doctrinally incorrect lyric in any of those three songs and this is what happens we get caught up what do we like worship is not what we've made it into you do not worship god the way you want to worship god and what the way you like to do it it's all about him and what we do is and you say well i just don't know if i liked it it's because you're making it about you and we're not making, church is not about you, it's not about me, it's not about Brother Jay, it's not about the piano player, it's not about any of us. Us gathering as a church is all about him. And Brother Jay and I, we talked a while back about that, that night of praise, however, I forget the way you titled it was going to be, and so I was working on a message to go with that. And then you said, I, with life, is this not going to work? And I'm like, fine, put the message away and leave it alone. And then I heard that they were going to sing a few of those songs and help us learn them. And I've been trying to, I'm trying to exercise a little bit this year. It's one of my New Year's resolutions. It'll last probably two weeks, but we're almost through a week. And what I've been doing is right just under two miles from my house to the church. So I'm walking to church either in the morning, but like this morning, I didn't want to be all sweaty before church this morning. So this afternoon, I left my truck here. And instead of watching football this afternoon, I walked and came to church. I was listening to um, some good Christian music on the way, and I just found that song, and I just played it a couple times. And I felt that the Lord wanted me to, to talk what I was gonna, the message I was going to bring that night. That's why tonight we're not going where we were going. This outline you have in your hands probably has mistakes all through it, because I literally threw it together in 15 minutes. It was not the plan for tonight. 
So if you say there's words misspelled, things out of place, yep, I did it, and that's what happens. That's why you have secretaries to fix that stuff, but not tonight because I changed it last minute. We go to John chapter number 4. I want you to read with me John chapter number 4. And we know Jesus here is with the woman at the well, and he went through Samaria and found her. And great things happen here. There's a lot of spiritual truth here and a lot of truth when it comes to worship and what the Bible has to say found in this passage. John 4, go down with me to verse number 20. Of course, that's the one page I can't get my Bible. There we go. It says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The only way to worship God is through spirit and truth. Both. Agree with me? That's what Jesus said. If you don't agree with that, Take it up with Jesus. Verse 25. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did, is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Father, I pray that you bless the next few minutes that we have here tonight and how we need you. And I pray that as we look at biblical worship for a few minutes tonight, that you would help us and that you would just meet with us tonight and help us in this area tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We talk about worship. Worship is not just a song service of a church. Worship is a, should be a daily part of a Christian's life. And it should be made, there should be a lot of private worship. Everything that we do should be to the glorification and the honor of God. And when we talk about this and we believe, and when we, what, what, a lot of times we come to church, we believe that we are worshiping God, but sometimes we really don't. You see, because what happens sometimes when we come to church, we focus on everything, all the externals, all the things that are going on outside of this place. You know, are the Packers winning right now or not? This morning, is the lunch, is my lunch place going to be very busy? Is pastor going to get done early today or not? Good inclination. If the first service gets out late, second service will be late too. Okay? And lately, they've both been running late. And so you, I don't know what's up with that guy preaching in the mornings. But it won't be that bad tonight, okay? This preacher's a little bit better on Sunday nights than Sunday morning. But what I want to do is, and as we talk tonight, we think and we try to determine what biblical worship is and what it's not. Things like singing, things like preaching, things like going to church, things like praying are not worship in themselves. They might serve to stimulate worship. They may carry out the spirit of worship, but in themselves they are not worship. So if the things that we all believe to be worship are not really worship, what is true biblical worship? 
And that's a question I want to answer tonight, and I really could. And this sermon, I'm going to store it back away, and I'm going to keep my thought process going. And I've got some ideas of going back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, going to Deuteronomy, I believe, chapter 27, going to several different passages, even seeing wise men, the gifts they brought Jesus, and worshiping him, and forming a series on biblical worship. But that's nowhere close to being done. And maybe, maybe by the time I'm 50, I'll have that done. I don't know if that's the case, but we'll work at that and see where the Lord goes with all of that. But tonight, I want to talk about biblical worship. And I'd like to first get a handle just a little bit on biblical worship. In our text here, we see a familiar text. A lot of us know John chapter 4, the woman at the well, and all that takes place here. And I want you to notice something in this text that we just read. In some form, the word worship is used eight times in ten verses right here. And each time it appears in this passage, it's translated from a Greek word, and I'm not going to say it because I'll probably mess it up, but the word literally means to kiss toward. It's used of an ancient tradition of a person kissing the hand of a superior, a person who would bow to the ground, bow the head, and kiss the hand of the one who is superior to them. It also is used in the sense of bowing down and prostrating prostrating oneself. A person would bow themselves in a sense of humility and respect and reverence to someone who is superior to them. It also speaks of a dog licking his master's hands. It's an image of trust, respect, and honor. Our English word, where we get the word worship from, is a word that means to give something their worth. When it comes to worship, when it comes to God, it means that we ascribe to God his worth it means that we state and affirm his supremacy his value and his glory that's what worship is when we apply these things to god when we think about god and we worship god for who he is it simply means that we humble ourselves and give glory honor reverence praise respect homage to god it means that we realize the fact that he is so more, so far superior to us in every area, and we recognize that fact, and we worship him because he is due worship. Worship is giving. Essentially, it's giving honor, giving respect, giving praise to God. That's the reason we gather in this place, to bring honor and glory and respect to God. We're not here to honor some preacher. We're not here to honor some song. We're not here to honor some piano player. We're not here to honor some tradition. We are here to honor God. We're not here to get a blessing for ourselves. We should come before God daily and realize who He is and stand in awe of who He is. And whether you're at home, whether you're at church, whether you're at work, all should be to the praise and the glory of God everything that we do. 87, there are 87 Hebrew and Greek words that are used to describe the concepts of praise and worship in the Bible. There are over 600 references in the Bible to praise and worship in the Bible. And obviously, we're not going to go through all 600 tonight. So just relax, okay? We're not going through all 600. But we could. Worship literally fills the pages of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, 
Adam and Eve fell into sin. Why? Because they worship self over God. Remember the fruit and be one to make them as gods. They worship themselves. It looked good to eat, even though God said not to do it. They worship themselves. The book of Revelation pulls back the curtain between heaven and earth and gives us a glimpse of what heavenly worship is going to be like when we stand before God, when we're there with Him. All throughout the Bible, you get a sense of worship and how God, how it's supposed to be. Let me also say this tonight before we dive into the four points I'm going to give you. It's a natural thing for a Christian to worship God. Worship should be an absolute non-negotiable part of the Christian life. The Christian must worship God. I'll go as far to say this. The truly redeemed child of God cannot not worship. Worship to the believer is the engine in your automobile. It's the spring in your watch or I guess the battery in mine, I guess that would be a better way of saying it. Worship is to our spiritual lives the most important and essential element. It should be as natural for a Christian to worship God as it is for you to breathe breath tonight. Christians to live without true worship is like being a fish out of water. It's like a bird trying to fly without wings. It just doesn't happen. It's like a house trying to stand without a foundation. Worship is essential in the life of a believer. And that's why understanding it is so vital in our lives. I could give you, and I'm going to give you tonight, some possible definitions for worship. Worship is a concept that defies adequate definition for the Lord. But we're going to take a stab at it for a little bit of time tonight. And I'll also say this, I believe that worship is something that is better experienced than it is defined. I want to try and define for you a little bit about worship tonight. If you notice at the bottom of your outline there, there's a book that I've been reading. And my four points actually come from this book. And uh, I have not finished the whole book, so I'm not telling you that it's the greatest book, but I'll tell you this, I've learned a lot when it comes to worship in this book. And um, the, wor- the book is called Worship, Christian's Highest Occupation. My four points come from that. When I steal someone's points exactly, I need to tell you that I did that, or else that's plagiarizing, right? And so that's what I did right there. So young people in Christian school, when you steal what someone else says, you need to give them credit for what they say. Otherwise, you are stealing that. And so remember that, Anthony. And uh, Oh, sorry, Anthony, yeah. <laughs> remember that as we look at this tonight, as we dive in. William Temple said this. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. And all this gathered up in adoration is the greatest human expression of which we are capable. Warren Worsby said this, he said, uh, he defined worship as the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will and body 
to all that God is, says, and does. I'll give you four points tonight about worship, and I'm going to give you several verses that go with this tonight. And this is, this is a, rough, a rough outline here tonight. I tell you, Brother Jay, when he said he wasn't going to do it, I took him at his word, and so I put the sermon away. He didn't even finish. I figure, if you were to go and see how many unfinished sermons I have, you would be amazed. And you're like, some of you are like, Pastor, I know how unorganized. I bet you have, I have a lot of them. And this is one, technically, it's not completely finished. But I believe that this is where we need to go tonight. Number one tonight, and only four points, number one. And there's no, no words on the screen, so you just have to write this down, okay? Are you ready? I know some, I'm training you bad because I'm training you to be lazy because all the words get up on the screen and everything. So you need to sit there and wait for it to say it on the screen. You don't have to really listen that intently. So number one, worship is and the overflow of a grateful heart under the sense of, defi- of divine favor. The writer is, as he's teaching us, and as the book as I was reading, that worship is a spontaneous event. True worship doesn't have to be primed and pumped. It's an outpouring of a heart that is filled with a sense of God's goodness, God's greatness, and his glory. Psalm 45, the Bible tells us in verse number one, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which made touching the king. My heart is the pen of a ready writer. The word indicting there means to, move, to keep moving. It was used to speak of a boiling pot of water. Think of it that way. And so, what is it saying there? As David reflects upon the glory of God and reflects upon who God is, what the Bible tells us here is he thinks about his creation, his word, his glory, his majesty, and as it's revealed in all those things, what David said is his heart's boiling over with love and praise for God. When a, heart, when a full heart overflows, worship ascends to God. And that's what we see if you think about Psalm 23. My cup runneth over. Worship is the overflow of a heart filled with the glory of who God is and what he's done. When's the last time you just took some time to stop and reflect on who God is? When's the last time you just stopped to think about his power, his grace, his mercy, his salvation? his word, and so many other things. When that heart boils over, worship is the result. You see, worship is my entire being giving honor, adoration, and glory to all that God is. That's what worship is. Number two tonight, worship is the outpouring of a soul at rest in the presence of God. In this definition, an emphasis is on the spiritual condition of the worshiper. The Bible says they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, correct? You've got to realize something. An unsaved person cannot worship God. Why is that? Because their spirit is dead. In order to worship God, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Another thing we've got to remember, Christian, tonight... Not only can an unsafe person not worship God, when we aren't living the truth, it's very hard for us to worship God. That's why you know it's true. Think about it. You come to church on Sunday, and you've lived like the devil Monday through Saturday. And we're singing about God's greatness and God's goodness, and you're kind of like, oh, I 
can't really be singing this right now. Why? Because they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh. And I hear people, well, I, with worshiping God, I just come as I am. That said before. And that kind of just, it's always rubbed me, just rubbed me a little bit wrong. When you come before God, you need to be doing, you need to be clean. You can't just come as you are. There's a fine line with all of that. Because they that worship him, you got to understand, if you're going to worship God, not only must you be saved, but it's got to be done in truth. And that's very important. When we look at this here, about this and we think about this point of the outpouring of a soul at rest in the presence of God see the Lord has done so much for us Ephesians 1 6 the Bible tells us to the praise and the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved praise God he's made us accepted and that has nothing to do with anything you've ever done you cannot make yourself accepted you're accepted because of what he did for you Praise God. Verse number 3 of that same chapter tells us how blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand as we look at this, the believer has to come to realize that in Jesus, you know, Jesus, he's cleansed us. He sanctified us. Aren't you grateful for that? And we are, there's that practical sanctification that we keep working on, but he's, he's cleaned us when we come before him and when we come to him, the believer has to realize that we're sanctified, we're justified, redeemed, regenerated, blessed with all spiritual blessings. And when we consider who God is and all that he's done and the fact that we can even come into his presence, you know, the only reason we get to come into God's presence is because of what Jesus did. Without Jesus, without the mediator between God and man, there would be no entering into the presence of God. But you can come boldly before the throne of grace. Think about the fact, you realize Old Testament, I mentioned a few weeks ago, not one time did anybody, when they prayed to God Old Testament, did they pray Father. First time you see Father prayed in the New Testament, Jesus prayed to his Father. But he said, hey, here's your example on how to pray. Our Father. And he's our Father because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what worship is about. Song of Solomon um, kind of gives the idea there. In Song of Solomon 2, verse 3 and 4, is the apple tree among the trees of the wood. So was my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banquet, banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. You see, worship is the outpouring of a soul at rest in the presence of God. And because of what Jesus did, church, you can. And praise God for that. Number three, worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with its blessings, but with God himself. Too often times when we pray and when we think it's all about us. Think about when you pray. When you pray, what occupies most of your prayer time? 
Think about Jesus, the model prayer, not the Lord's prayer that you need to repeat every time you pray. Think about the model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Prayer should start out with a focus on worship to God. That's how it should start. And what we see in a lot of times in our lives, our prayer lives are just full of all the needs or the wants that we have, and that's not true biblical prayer. And when we come before God, and what I'm trying to tell you tonight is this, isn't, you think about this, everything that we do, isn't not true that when we go to God in prayer, most of the times because we have a need. We come to church because we want to be blessed. Is it not true that we engage in what we call worship because we want to get something out of it? Oh, I want to engage in worship in church because I want to feel something from it. If that's what your goal is in worship, you've missed the whole point of biblical worship. It's not about a great feeling that comes over you. It's about ascribing praise and glory to the one who deserves it. That's what it's all about, and we lose sight of those things. And when we think about it, it, when we talk about when David heard, and there's some verses, I believe the rest of the verses are on here, and if not, we'll turn there. Yes, they are there. But David, when he is told by Nathan that God would establish David's throne and kingdom forever, he wasn't going to be able to do the temple, but God was still going to establish his kingdom forever. David simply sat down in the presence of God. 2 Samuel chapter number 7, verse 18 through 22, the scripture says, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me here to? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what, oh, what can David more say unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant for thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart hast done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. As David sat in, basking in the glory of God and what God had done in his life. He wandered there with praise and adoration to his God. That's true biblical worship. The image made clear in the book of Revelation. Chapter number 4, verse number 11. Thou art worthy. What are we going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be worshiping the King of Kings. And thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. There's no asking for anything there. There's no petition made, no single request. All you have is pure worship to the King of Kings. Chapter number 5 of Revelation. Take your Bibles there with me. I want you to see these verses here. Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter 5. Go with me down to verse number 9. The Bible says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Oh man, I'm sure some of us are going to be standing in heaven. We're going to be like, He's singing a new song. I don't like that song. Anyways, we'll keep on going. 
shouldn't have said that. That's not a very nice thing to say. And uh, let me just say something in general. Old songs are good. Man, this morning we sang, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. One of my favorite hymns. So powerful. Blessed Assurance we sang last week, I think it was. There are so many great, powerful hymns, and they bring pray and they lift up the name of Jesus. They praise our Heavenly Father. But don't get lost in the fact that there are new songs that do the same exact same thing. And at the end of the day, you say, Pastor, do you like I love hymns? And sometimes people get worried, are you gonna have a church where the hymns just go away? No. It's about bringing praise and glory to God. We love hymns. I always will. Why? Because they bring him praise. But there are a lot of new great songs that do the same thing. And there are a lot of old songs that don't bring him praise and worship. And there are a lot of new songs that don't bring him praise and worship and make it about us. And those aren't ones we sing. You, you'd be hard to go through the songs that we sing in our church and see if not one of them lifts up the name of Jesus or praises God for who he is. There's a method in a, to what we do, a reason to what we do, because he alone should be praised and glorified. We're here in Revelation 5, verse number 9. How I got off? Oh, they sung a new song. That's it right there. Saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the numbers of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and blessing and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature that was in heaven and on earth and under the, and under the earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them, heard I say, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. That's true Bible worship. And we might get it clouded down here and not get it right. But in heaven, guess what? We're going to get it right. And praise God for that day. Worship to God. See number four and lastly tonight. We see worship is... The upspring of the heart that has known the Father as a giver, the Son as Savior, and the Holy Spirit as an indwelling guest. I love this point. Well, anyone in the world, even an unbeliever, can, can recognize that God exists and maybe that He's the Creator. They are not capable of worshiping God because they are not saved and because their spirit is not made alive. But you've got to understand something tonight, Christian. We enjoy a special relationship with God. We enjoy, as, as John chapter number 4 talks about, a living waters experience with Him. Jesus said, if you looked at John chapter 4, verse number 13, He said, he answered, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It's a picture of what happens when we get saved. 
the Spirit of God, it takes up residence inside of our heart. He fills us with the wonder of who He is, and that outflows in worship and service to God. Go to John chapter, let's see, do I have that there? In your notes there, you have John 7, verse 37 to 39. Look at what it says here. It says, In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If a man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they, which, that, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not, give, not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He fills us, the Holy Spirit of God, with the wonder of who God is. And he flows in us and through us. Remember we talked about this morning, our service for God, the love of Christ constrains me, right? The love of Christ, how this shall men know that you're my disciples if you love one another? The love of Christ should, he loves us. And as we love him, his love should be flowing through us and out to those around us. That's how worship works. The Holy Spirit, he's there, he guides us into all truth, correct? They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He guides us in all truth. And what he fills us with and gives us should be flowing out, given back to God in worship for what he's done for us. Worship really is, think about this, the living waters returning to its source. Ecclesiastes 1.7 says this, Solomon wrote these words, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return also. And he's talking about the water cycle and things. The water comes down from the sky in the form of rain, snow, ice. That water fills the rivers and they flow down to the seas. The water is evaporated by the sun and goes back into the clouds. Thus it is dropped once again upon the earth and it's a cycling like that. That's how worship operates. The Spirit is on the inside of us who was sent from heaven to our hearts, bubbles up, fills us with wonder in the glory of God. When he does this, the praise in our hearts flow out and is offered up to God in the form of worship. It returns back to the source from where it came. Thus, all true worship begins with God. It flows to and through us and ascends back to God, and that's the divine cycle the way it should be. Everybody worships someone or something. Everyone does. Later on tonight, I want you to Google something. If you're a Googler, Google something, because you're not going to believe me when I say this. But I heard this story. After I heard this story, I had to just see if it was really true. Because, you know, sometimes preachers preach a message that's like, that story, I just don't know if it's completely true because it just fits the sermon perfectly. And they're embellishing something right there. I looked it up. This story is true. So in 1977, there was a woman from New Mexico. She noticed that her skillet burned one of her tortillas. She pulled that tortilla off of the skillet and she thought, and looking at it, she thought that the burn mark resembled an image of Jesus Christ. No kidding. 
She showed it to her husband. She showed it to her neighbors, who all agreed the marks on the tortilla looked like a face, and it was truly what Jesus probably looked like. You can Google this and see the actual picture of it, okay? At any rate, she took her tortilla to her priest to have her priest bless it, and she testified that the tortilla had changed her life. And her husband even agreed with the fact, he said that his wife was more peaceful, she was more happy, she was more submissive since the tortilla arrived in their home. So the priest was not accustomed to blessing tortillas. He was somewhat reluctant to do it, but he agreed to do it. After he blessed the tortilla, she took her tortilla home, put it in a glass case with piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating on a cloud. She built a special altar for it and opened a little shrine to visitors. And over 35,000 people have visited her shrine to a tortilla Jesus. Oh, think about that. I heard the story where I heard this from. The preacher at the end said, it seems incredible that so many people would worship a tortilla. And really look it up. And that tortilla is really shriveled up now, and it's still in the case. But anyways, and uh, now the daughter's carrying on with that story. And so you never know whose face you might imprint on your tortilla. So be careful how you burn your tortillas. So. But he said, it seems incredible that so many people would worship a tortilla. But such a distorted concept of worship is not really unusual in today's society. So some people worship a tortilla. Some bow down to rocks. Some bow down to statues and animals. Others give worship to themselves. Give worship to their families. Give worship to their possessions. Some worship their church. Some worship their favorite preacher or their old moldy tradition. The truth is, everyone gives honor, respect, and adoration to someone or something. To whom do you give your worship? Is your worship tonight God-centered, God-focused, and God-directed? Or is your worship to God self-centered, self-focused, and self-directioned? Is your worship religion-focused, religion-directed, and religion-centered? I want you to challenge you tonight to learn what true worship is all about. It's all about you. We're going to have an invitation tonight. And when we're done with the invitation, we'll be on our way tonight. But Brother Jay, I want you and your kids to sing that song during the invitation tonight. The Heart of Worship. And then once we're done, and if you need to come, and let me just say something. Your worship needs to be right. And if it's not, you need to talk to the one who you're not worshiping right and get right with him and apologize to him. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it. It's all about him. Why don't you sing through that during our invitation night, and then we'll all sing it and close and be on our way. So you come to the piano.